John, you good? I'm good. Let's roll, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome back to Build It, the non-league soccer podcast, where we talk to non-league soccer people and, as it turns out, other people in the world of um, sports, entertainment, sports marketing, sports, whatever, management. Uh, our guest this week um, is Gentry Mullins. Gentry, I'm starting a new thing the last couple of weeks where we um, just get the guests to introduce themselves because I am terrible at it. So, um, in the space of two words or less, Gentry, who are you? Why, what, are you what do you do for a living? And how have you ended up where you are? And you can use go go more than two words. Yeah, that that's was... probably better. But yeah. I'm just going to go with Gentry Mullins, and then we just get into it. <laughs> uh, would probably been uh, less boring for for your listeners. Uh, yeah, my name is Gentry Mullins, uh, senior director of consulting and executive search for General Sports Worldwide, which is a, it's a global sports marketing management agency. I am a uh, I am from Clintwood, Virginia, which is a really small town, rural town, right on the border of Virginia and Kentucky. And, um, you know, spent my entire you know career in the sports industry landscape, uh, much more on the revenue generating side. So got my start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, really just focused on selling season tickets, premium inventory. Then after three years there, transitioned out to the Phoenix Suns, where I basically was tasked with kind of re- rebranding their inside sales program, which was basically how do you get, you know, entry level you know, professionals into the sports sales vertical and teach them basically how to pick up a phone to, to selling multi-year deals. And then after two years there, which was really fun, I, I transitioned out to, to Cleveland where I was recruited by an old mentor to, to basically help them rebuild the business after LeBron James had left. And so they were looking to rebuild their sales efforts. And so, you know, for me, I thought it was a pretty cool story. If you can rebuild, you know, sales efforts after the greatest player in the league leaves, it's a pretty cool resume stamper. And so, you know, did that for, for three years. And so um, after that, you know, I get to, to team up with a couple of people that I really admire and Travis Apple and Lou DePauly, um to really, you know, scratch an entrepreneurial itch that I had, which was, you know, how do we provide more resources for, for not one team, but, you know, all teams and leagues, you know, you know, across, you know, across the globe. And so uh, that's what we do. So we go around, we help teams either improve the revenue operations, train, you know, from leadership to sales, um, and then help them obviously find, uh, you know, a lot of executive talent out there as well. So uh, what's great about my role is it's something different every day, which I appreciate, but uh, hopefully that's not too long of an intro. That's no, that's perfect. Um, I think, you know, it's clear, obviously, that you move in higher echelons than most of our listenership and our um, non-league soccer operations. But I think we we agree that there's there's skills and there's um, experiences that can be that are easily transferable, right? It's just you you are you have the luxury of having money to play with and um, recruitment budgets and all that stuff, whereas we have to manage with the people that we've got. But a ticket sale is still a ticket sale. You still get the same obstacles of like, you know, I can't come because of the weather or I can't come this, that or the other. Um, um, and any club at our level is going to be, it should be interested in maximizing their revenue. It's just, it's a no brainer, right? That's how we yep. embed ourselves in the community. Um, 
general sports world we'll just a little bit outside general sports worldwide um what do they do over how do they sell, sell themselves yeah so like i said we're, you know we're a global sports marketing and management agency uh you know owned and operated by andy appleby who's just a, a legend in the sports industry and so i would say you know really we have about four verticals to our business you know, one, we have mergers and acquisitions. So Andy and the group will go out together to, to find teams to actually go out and buy teams, which is pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the second one is our player representation arm. So we uh, we have an arm that basically represents a lot of soccer players over the pond. And then obviously a lot of NFL, you know, players here in the States, um, majority in the, the offensive lineman um, category. And then in the uh, the third vertical is our sponsorship arm. Um, so we have folks that'll go out, basically help find naming rights deals, you know, some of those bigger, you know, partnership assets that, you know, maybe the teams or organizations are struggling to, to sell. And then you have our vertical, which, uh, like I said, you know, it's pretty new. We started about a year and a half ago, I think, at this point, which is our executive search and, and team consulting arm. So you're, you're basically just like looking around the globe and seeing someone in the Philippines, for argument's sake, and just, that's an interesting sports organization we could we i'd be interested in adding that to our portfolio is that a very simple summation of that uh, that aspect of it like yeah and obviously i don't have a ton of interaction with no. it but it's really a lot based off of you know relationships that that andy and that group have to say right. hey you know this team this you know maybe this team is looking to to sell like can you go out and find a couple groups that are willing to, mm-hmm. to come in and buy or at least look at it and so mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how those are operated okay that makes sense and so your but your bit in particular is basically finding the guys and girls that are good at sales or good at corporate management and that sort of thing and p- putting them with a prospective employer kind of not not prospective employer but like finding that talent pool that is hidden elsewhere that yeah and so that's correct so and, and we don't focus only on the revenue generating capacity uh but we focus you know majority of like, again our tenures have came up from that revenue generating capacity like i said i've been on the ticket sales premium side of the business uh travis very similarly uh, even with some league experience. And then Lou obviously oversaw a lot of biz ops for the Mets at one point. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we basically can can do everything from ticket sales to data and analytics. Uh, we do a lot of work in the partnership space. Um, you know, really our, you know, our, I guess our, where I think we we win a lot in our benefit statement would just be the fact of like, we've actually sat in these, these executive shoes before. Right. So yeah. we know what these executives are looking for, like from a talent standpoint, from a collaboration standpoint with a marketing department or a collaboration standpoint with data and analytics. And so where we come in is just say, hey, we know what you're looking for. Let us go out and help you. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, you know, it really helps us to, to have a good understanding of what these teams are looking for. Sure. Um, if you take the sport aspect away, is the is an organization is the or are the organizations rather kind of the same or can you tell? just from a tree map that that's a basketball club and that's a football franchise. Yeah, you know, I would say if you're looking at the differences in between the groups, I would say it comes down to a lot of, you know, the, the pace of play. Um, so, for example, when I worked in the NFL, it's a little bit more slower. You know, if you think about it, like there's 10 games, you know, we lose on Sunday. We've got a whole week to sit on that loss. Whereas in the NBA, we sat – maybe one day, 48 hours on a loss, which when you lost as much as I did was a good thing. But, you know, with that being said, is like, I think that's where you start to see like the biggest differences and one's the pace of the play. But I think, you know, the, the bare, you know, the backbone of all of those things remain the same, which is how do we find really good people? How do we put in really good process? And how do we focus on strategy and development with those two groups? And so if we do that, 
you know, we're going to have a really good, you know, opportunity to succeed, whether we're in basketball, baseball, football, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the, it's, it's templated, right? There's there's bits around it, but the template remains. Okay. Yeah. Um, that being said, then, how would you describe the, that templated pyramid? Like, I don't know, without getting into specifics of job titles per se, but like, Clearly, there's someone on the top, and there's people underneath, and yada yada yada. Like, what's what's imp- what's a must-have? I guess is what I'm asking in a in an organization. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm somebody that believes in you got to you know, invest heavily from a resource standpoint. You know, from a you know from a human capital standpoint, if you want to get the results that you want to. You know, so obviously, I think you got to have somebody at the top of the chart from a sales perspective. You know, whether it be a CRO or whether it be an, an SVP of ticket sales or and, and premium, just basically somebody to kind of set the tone and basically say, "Hey, this is the structure. This is the flag. Like, let's plant the flag of what we want to be, what we want to accomplish." And then, how do I go out and find those generals to help me accomplish it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, that person really needs to be focused on long-term, big, you know, big vision type, you know, operations. And then how do you get a couple of those, you know, generals, like I said, to come in and be much more tacticians, right? And so I would say, you know, that's where you need to start off with. And then I think this, you know, probably the second most important position, at least from my perspective, is like, who's who's your entry-level sales manager? You know, like, who's who's responsible for bringing in new blood of talent to the organization? Who's training that talent? Who's developing that talent? Because, again... Whoever you're bringing in from an entry level standpoint are going to be the folks that basically are going to be your floor long term, right? If you have a really well sustainable model. And so, like, you know, I would say, obviously, who's the, the guy at the top, girl at the top? And then who's that person that's basically, you know, creating that feeder system for the rest of your, you know, your sales efforts? So it's, it's ticket sales is where your focus, like. Correct. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sweet. Um, how does marketing tie in then to what that person or that arm does? Like, it's not just cold calling, right? So I don't know if, you, if you're if you not an expert in that field, fine, yeah. we'll move on. But like, how do, how do those two things align? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, again, I think it's a huge aspect of it. You know, for, for me, somebody that had a lot of collaboration with my marketing departments in Phoenix and Cleveland, is, you know, if you want a high volume approach, which I believe in from a sales perspective, then you got to obviously have somebody that's going to feed you the volume, right? And so, you know, that marketing person needs to be working hand in hand with that, you know, that person at the top to say, hey, you know, here's number one, here's our story as an organization, like what's the story, like why are we selling, why should the marketplace believe in what we're doing also like what should our why should our team members believe in what we're doing and so your story starts with with marketing right and so are they believing in that story that we're telling to the marketplace to our team members you know i think secondly is like what are the tentacles that we're putting in place after that to say hey how can we generate you know lead you know lead generation how can we also nurture those leads how can we nurture our current books of business those current leads that are coming through the funnel to set our team members up so they're not just banging their head against the wall with people that aren't interested, but people that have a high, you know, propensity to buy. And so, you know, again, I think, you know, from a marketing, you know, ticket sales, premium corporate partnership relationship, like that's got to be 365 days, right? Like it can't just be like, oh, let's go to marketing when we don't have leads or let's go to marketing like when we're not busy. It's like that has to be part of our consistent communication and cadence to the overall success of our business. And so I think, you know, the best teams out there are the ones that have leaned into that, lean into it heavily. And then, you know, that's the other, the arm that we haven't even talked about is like, 
where's the business intelligence group that's coming into play with that, you know, that whole dynamic, right? Because yeah. marketing may be giving us the leads, you know, the data, you know, the business intelligence group is probably prepping those leads to call and giving us lead scoring, then ticket sales, premium, corporate partnerships selling it. Okay, then business intelligence is actually reporting on those things and saying, hey, this is working, it's not working. And then so it should be this consistent cycle that those three groups are really working in. Mm -hmm. And again, the best organizations I've ever been a part of have that really flawlessly and clear communication and expectations from all three of those groups, rather than, you know, everyone kind of trying to figure itself out and hoping that that other group does their job and then they'll do their job. Like there can't really be any silos, especially in 2022 with those three groups, in my opinion. For sure. For sure. John, over to you. Oh, 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 buddy. <laughs> I, I just, uh, Gentry, my mind just races when we talk to people that do this stuff for a living because we do it for a hobby. So it's very different. Um, I think one of the, the things that, like, obviously, being, come, you know, uh, experience in the NFL, NBA, um, with professional clubs, the resources you talk about, analytics, some of those things, um, I mean, it all, it all makes sense. And it's actually really exciting. I'd love to go, like, be a fly on the wall in some of those offices and meetings. And Nick's shaking his head because he knows that would only spark a million more ideas that I'd throw at him. And um, I think the challenge that we have at this crazy low level of soccer at least at least with our club and many others is we're really trying to almost replicate like a minor league baseball experience where um, it's a great time. We're going to sell some tickets for five bucks. Um, you know, do we have we don't have full time staff. We have, in fact, no full time staff. We have a few people on, on a small stipend, uh, but the rest of the staff is volunteer. Um, yep. So so like. Nick already is sick of me as he's the marketing guy and the media guy, and I'm feeding him ideas and thoughts and this and that and the other thing. So I think my my long winded question is like, how do you and I'm stealing one of Nick's notes that he wrote down. How do you like pare this all down to Gentry, you're moving to DeKalb, Illinois. Hey, we get three or 400 people at a game. How do we how do we turn that to five or 600? How do who do we connect with? Who do we reach out to? Um, where do you go tell your, like work with your marketing guy, but who do you go tell your story to other than, you know, we're, we're at that point where it's friends, neighbors, relatives, um, friends of friends, business owners we know in our community. Um, and that's grown over our, we've been in, in, as a club, we've been around for five years. So that's certainly grown into the general public, but there's, there's tons of people within our community that have never heard of us. So how do we how do we go sort of just kind of start from the bottom without a lot of money, without a lot of yep. man hours? And like, where would you target the approach first? Um, and I'll shut up for a while. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a it's a good question. And I, I think, you know, for, for me, what I would say is like I would still start at the same place. Right. And so, you know, the first thing that I said for, for that marketing department is what's our story? Right. Like what 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 are we doing here? Why should the marketplace believe in us? Why should our team members believe us? And so I think the first thing that you guys would, you know, I would recommend you guys do is like, does everyone on staff, does everyone that has interaction, like again, everyone is going to have to be a storyteller. Right. Like, you know, that's at this point, like when we're talking as small as we are, like everyone has to take some accountability in the fact that they're telling the story of the club. 
And so like, is that story well-written? Is it, you know, if, if, if we ask 10 team members, are we going to get the same exact story from every single person or is it going to be different? And I can tell you like, as somebody who's oversaw, you know, you know, over 30 you know, folks at one point is like, you think that that's the case sometimes, but then you go around and you start to ask, it's certainly not the case. Right. And so making sure that number one, everyone's story is the same, that it's really well written, rehearsed, scripted down to the, to the, you know, to the topic, I think is where I would start. And then you, you start to send everybody out into the marketplace. And then like, what does, you know, like, for example, what does a referral campaign look like? Like, what's the expectations for every single person, starting with you guys all the way down to the bottom, you know, person on the totem pole of like, hey, how many people did you reach out to today? You know, how many people did you at least get word of mouth out about our club? Like, what does that look like? And then, like, what are some, you know, some things that you guys can put in place to start to attract more leads? You know, is it like a, you know, a survey monkey where you guys are, you know, sending out more forms and more education to the marketplace to hopefully get, you know, newer leads in? Is it you guys creating, you know, email templates for your team members to send out to business owners, to their family members, their friends? Is it you guys, you know, creating social media templates for everyone to be able to post? to everyone that's at least, you know, in acknowledgement of the, the club. How can we just get the word out more and more and more, you know, is, is where I would really focus at. But again, I think it all starts with like, what's your story? Why should people believe in it, et cetera? Yeah. Is, is there any, um, and I, that I uh, made notes. I think that's, that's, those are great recommendations. Is there any, okay, we've, let's say we've got our, our little, outreach team, our, our ticket staff, whatever we call it. We've got everybody ready, prepped. We've got emails. We've got all that stuff done. Um, where, like, where do you go? Do you go like, I, I, again, it's like small scale, like chamber of commerce and hope that that distributes to, you know, get your, get your brand on a lot of eyes. Um, is it, is it going through um, city government, talking to the mayor and saying who, who would be best to talk to? And some of these things I've, I've tried, of course, but um, yeah. like if you had to do one thing first, you got your little army, here's, here's where we're gonna go and, and how we're gonna attack it. Yeah, I would probably, I would try to find, you know, the, the, I guess the highest person up I could from a marketing standpoint, probably with like the Chicago Fire, one of those like higher soccer teams in the Chicago area. And just find like that person that you think is going to be well known that is like, hey, obviously, you know, this marketplace better than I do. You know, obviously growing the game of soccer in, in the Chicago area benefits not only us, but it also benefits you. Right. So like what does a relationship with us look like? Like where would you even recommend to start? Like who are the power players in, in the Chicago that like we need to be talking to that helps get our club out there that gets more people involved with the sport? And then that person, I think, can give you a much better roadmap of like, where do you need to start? Like, where are your resources? Like, what are the doors that you need to be getting into? What are the doors that are never going to be open, no matter how good of a salesperson that you are, that you don't need to waste energy and effort on? And I think those are probably where I would start. Now, again, that's going to be, you know, you guys, you know, are going to have to come with some value as to why you think it's worth it for them to meet with you and talk to you and help you. Um, but again, I think that's that's on you guys to create, you know, craft that, right? So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so I, I, I guess I've been, I've been thinking all, all this in, in terms of sort of ticket sales and we do, um, we're a nonprofit. So we do, um, memberships like season ticket memberships, like we have lifetime memberships, uh, family memberships, things like that. So 
So I guess back to the broader picture of revenue growth. Um, so the way we just to fill you in. So we we rely on sponsorships, um, memberships. Um, we do um, fundraisers like special jerseys. We'll do like a sale and you know raise a few dollars that way. Um, merchandise, like those are kind of the four things, the four main things um, that we do to generate. So so revenue generation and revenue growth is is kind of multifaceted for us where um i think sponsorships still are a key part of it until at some point hopefully we get memberships to a point where we are sustainable without sponsorships so we don't have to rely on businesses to help um sort of supplement what we're doing but um i'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that like you dealt with sponsorships on, on the corporate side too i think a little bit right so so like where do you Again, putting yourself in my shoes, small club, you know, three, four hundred fans at games. We play ten home games in the summer. Like we have a long off season to sort of get all these things in place and get a plan and a strategy and ruin Nick's day with my ideas every day. But like, where do you do you focus on? If the end goal is memberships, let's focus on memberships. Or do you just hey, we got to keep going at both until we figure it out. Yeah, you know, I think that comes down to, to you guys and what you guys say is like the overarching goal, right? I think if you're like, hey, we like we just really need more, like we just need more money, like we just need revenue, and like, okay, maybe we focus mainly on our corporate partnerships assets to to sell more of those and just get more dollars into the club. And you know, we're gonna feed that on the back end back into marketing so we can generate more leads. You know, that that could be the option. You know, I think if you're looking to say, hey, I think we really just need to be growing the club in general, like from a health standpoint, like if we want it to, you know, to grow long-term sustainably, I would say like, how do we just get as much FSCs into the building as possible, which, you know, would be like season tickets. You know, how do we just get more memberships and like, how do we do that from a volume standpoint? Because the more, you know, the more butts that you can put in seats for these games, the more people that touch, feel your product, more word of mouth gets out within the marketplace. Right. And so like, how can we just take a really like high volume approach? And that's probably, you know, less yield on the, on the seats, but it's obviously getting more people in. They're spending more money on concessions. They're spending more on mer merchandise and we're just getting more people again into your ecosystem. Right. And so for you guys, it would be like, how do we just get as many people into our ecosystem as possible to come out to our games? Because that way, then we can start to upsell them. That way we can start to cross sell them. And again, you know, again, can we get out more referral campaigns to that group? Can we get out, you know, more, you know, inner wins to that group and just getting more people familiar with the product? Yeah, and I think that we're a mission-driven organization too. So so our, our financial model is we need enough to sustain because yeah. somebody smarter than me said it, if you can break even, you can exist forever. So <laughs> we, we, are, we are desperate to... Um, we are we are more desperate to showcase what we do and our passion for the sport and how much families can afford to show up and attend without driving an hour and a half to Chicago. Um, we just want people to enjoy what we do. That's kind of our like that's what really drives us. So that's also been the hardest thing is is we play at NIU at the soccer stadium there. Um, we're able to do some fun match day things and again, sort of like a minor league baseball experience where. It's cheap to come, fun entertainment, music. We got this Brit on the PA and everybody loves listening to the Nick talk. Uh, it's a great environment, like great feedback. It's it's all wonderful. And then we'll turn up on a Saturday night at seven 
and there's a 60% chance of rain. So attendance is like half of normal. And some of those things you probably can't overcome because of weather, but how do we, like, how do we target that where people, how do we overcome the excuses, I guess, is what I'm trying to spit out. Like, everybody's always got stuff going on. How do we separate ourselves from those things? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, a couple of things is, is one is like, how do you, you know, what's the cadence of communication look like leading up to it? You know, for a lot of people, like, I mean, again, we get so distracted by how much noise is in, you know, everyday life is like, a lot of people just forget, right? So, like, what does that communication cadence look like leading up to game day? You know, fire team members, you know, they had to have a dedicated touch point process. So, you know, what's the the phone call? What's the hype call? Like, why should they be excited about this Friday coming out to a game? Like, why should they be excited that it's supposed to pour the rain on Friday and they're still going to come out? Like, what? Why is it worth it to them? You know, like, what is the you know the texting campaign look like leading up to it? Like, what is the email communication like look leading up to to the game? And so. I think that's one place where I would start is like, how do we just, you know, you know, basically beat these people over the head with communication about why they should continue to show up. Um, and then two is like, again, really crafting that story to say, hey, what, why should they show up? You know, like, what makes this different? Why is this worth their time? Right? Like, they're, they've only, they've already given us their dollars, but like, what, why is their time also worth it? You know, so I, I think that's a piece of it. And then a lot of it, too, is just, again, just depending on, you know, again, the size and scope of, you know, the, the sales team and the service team is like, you know, how good relationships can your team members build with these fans to say, hey, it's worth it for you to show up because we have a good relationship and I at least just want to see you there that week, John. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are a couple things. Um, again, obviously, some of that stuff is going to be out of our control, but, you know, all the things that we can control is the communication and cadence leading up to it the rapport that we've built on the front end um, and then the story that we've created and, and, and crafted for them to, to want to come. Okay. And I'll, and I'll let Nick, um, I, if he's still uh, listening, I'll let Nick uh, jump back in in a minute, but this gets me, this gets me, uh, uh, you know, a ton of ideas. So um, not to, not to catch you here, but so if you're running a small organization and let's say, you know, we, we know money doesn't necessarily solve problems, but let's say you, Somebody says, hey, I'm going to give you 500 bucks, whatever. Where do you, with the intent of growth, not only rev- revenue, but in in everything, like awareness, all of it, like where do you take, you know, a little bit of money and say, I'm going to, I'm going to invest it this way to get the best return. Where do you go with that? Yeah, I'd probably say digital ad spend to see how we can just get more people into the ecosystem for your team members to call, for us to, you know, retarget from another email perspective. That's where I would say I'd probably spend majority of my life. Like, how do we just get more leads into the ecosystem for you guys to target, to sell, those things? Well, that's right in Nick's wheelhouse anyway. Yeah, that's a good no, that was the wrong answer, Gentry, if it's helped, if it helps anyway. Like, what you basically said there is give Nick more work. So thanks for that. Um, I don't disagree at all, to be honest. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Right? You've got to speculate to accumulate, but... Um, digital marketing we know where the money is going we know who it's going in front of more or less especially in a market market like the cal um it's you know if we, if we expect to get any money back from it we should be putting money into it if it's a if it's a free thing then that's a different conversation but yeah um Gendry, having positioned you as the expert in the room um and putting you on this big pedestal i want to bring you back down to earth and ask you about you for a second um 
What's the biggest mistake you've ever made professionally? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would say that it was just, it was probably being impatient. You know, I think one thing that I think I've learned a lot of, a lot, especially over the last year, year and a half is that, you know, I think a lot of people look at it as ambitious and patience as these two things that can't coexist. Uh, and I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, I was somebody that couldn't wait to, to get to the next position, wouldn't, wouldn't get to, um, wouldn't enjoy the moment because I was just so dead set on how do I get from this spot to the next spot and really not yeah. enjoying where I was at. And so I think when you're that dead set on things, I think one, like it makes you rush into decisions that you probably shouldn't. Um, probably means you're not the best teammate because you're probably only concerned about yourself because you're only concerned about growing. Um, and, you know, I, again, when people would tell me, when leaders and mentors would tell me that in the moment, you know, I'd always say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you're in XYZ chair, right? Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I think that's what I would probably say is if I could go back and tell 21-year-old gentry, you know, to, to chill out for a minute that, you know, everything always works out the way it's supposed to. And, you know, you're not going to get those friends and those lunches back that you that you had back in the day. You know, so I would say that's probably the biggest one. Um, well, that works for me. Works for me. Um, what's the thing you're proud of, Then, what's your biggest accomplishment to this point? I, I think it's just growing other other people's careers. You know, I think that's that's been my mission in this thing from day one is, you know, like I mentioned to you guys, I, I came into this business as about as raw as someone could come into it. You know, I didn't know, you know, sports sales existed. I thought stadiums filled themselves up. Like who doesn't want to go to, you know, an NFL game, you know, me and my dad used to travel five hours one way to watch Panthers games and they were horrendous, you know, but you know, it was still worth it for me and my dad to, to, you know, spend that time together to get to watch them play. And so, you know, when I had leaders that really invested in me and invest, you know, really invested in me and cared about me to grow my career, uh, I just said that, you know, I really want to do that for others. And so it's, it's a pretty cool feeling when you recruit somebody from across the country to, to take a chance on coming to work for you. They buy into your belief system, your structure, mm -hmm. and then to get to watch them grow. And then for them to actually start to invest in teaching others, it's just a pretty cool feeling. So so modest of you. I was I was hoping you were going to say that time when I sold like a ten thousand dollar corporate package or whatever. But fine, you you go with being the altruistic. That's fine. We we won't judge for it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> touching, I'm going to bring John in a second. But what's is the one obvious glaring thing that organisations tend to do that they shouldn't be, regardless of the sport again? Like, is there like if you could just get every single leader together and bang their head and say stop you know, selling tickets to people called Charles, I don't know, but you know, just. Oh man, we could spend all, we could spend the hour here. Oh, uh, that's what we want. That's what, we want. <laughs> what are we doing wrong? Um, you know, I think the thing that I would say, it, it, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say the first one is, I think a lot of organizations and teams say that they really put their people first until the rubber meets the road. And then they don't put their people first. And I would say if people continue to put a focus on their people and their development and their training, you know, I think that's where you're going to see the most growth 
you know, long-term. Now, again, is it from a short-term standpoint? Yeah, it probably makes sense just to, to, to focus on the number. But if you're really looking at long-term sustainable success, I think you need to focus on your people and keep them at, at, at the forefront at all times. Um, you know, the second thing I would say is, you know, just to be okay with failure and, and to try new things. You know, I think, you know, our industry gets, you know, gets pegged as one that continues to, to want to do the same old, same old because it worked last year and last season. But I think, you know, that number one, I think it, it, it basically saps all the creativity and excitement that your team, your leaders have in bringing new ideas to the table. So how do we look at, you know, other industries to bring more ideas and energy into the table? And so like, how do we just get outside of that norm? You know, for example, calling and texting is like that, that example that I would use right now. I'm somebody that believes in the phone from a, you know, from a sales perspective wholeheartedly. But like how have we also started to adapt our texting cadences that also basically, you know, collaborate with that phone call structure that we have, right? Like, you know, so many people, like if you raised, if you asked a group of 30 people today, like how many of them probably take, you know, unknown phone numbers for phone calls, I would say that you probably get less than 10% that probably raise their hand. But if we ask that same 30 folks, you know, who looked at every single text message they get, the numbers show us 98% of folks look at every single message they get. Right. So like, you know, how have we adapted to that? I think is one thing that I would say. Okay. John, two seconds. Um, on that call thing, I don't know whether it's a British thing. Um, I generally don't know, but I find the idea of you, not you Gentry, but you ringing me up and saying, Hey, come to our thing, come to our event. Um, why haven't you bought a ticket? It's got the kind of like that badgering thing. I find that, awkward and almost awful like i find it in, in invasive um is that just me being british or like is that a regular obstacle that you encounter uh, i mean i think it's i think it's definitely a, a normal obstacle i would say I, we don't teach it that way mm-hmm. um you know I, i've always tried to teach on like what i would see my buying behavior to be what i think the normal buying behavior and i think you know, if you guys called me up today to go to, you know, to your soccer match, I'd be like, who are you and why are you calling me? Like, how'd you get this number type deal? You know, so what we've always tried to, you know, what I've always tried to to teach and and train, you know, sales team members on is like, how do we get to know this person first? You know, like, how do we build some rapport, right? Like, we've got something in common. How do we find that? You know, and so it should be much more of like, Hey, I thought you've had some sort of interaction with the club or the sport in the past. Mm -hmm. I just want to know about it. Like, tell me about it. And then how do I share something? So all of a sudden, then we start to build, like, again, you know, like, it should be a conversation at a bar, like, over a beer. Like, how does that sound? And then how do we get some of those, you know, those, you know, I call them trigger moments throughout the call that basically say, hey, this person's qualified. We should pitch them on getting face-to-face or a product or whatever that is. And if they don't have those, then let's not waste our time and let's move on to our day, you know, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I mean, I, I've never trained on, hey, you know, this is, you know, the Cavs, you want to buy tickets. Yeah. I just don't think our success rate is going to be very high that way. No, you've all, it was almost like you pruned that list before you start, right? Rather than here's a list of 100, here's a list Correct. of 20 that actually give a shit about basketball. Yeah. And then what well, there's you're in. Okay, cool. John? No, that's that's a great point. It's something when I, I deal with, you know, pursuing sponsors and renewing sponsors and stuff here uh, for us, that's, that's one of my main focuses since I talked to somebody that was a professional at this and, and she told me the same thing. It was like, 
don't go in and say, Hey, can we get a thousand bucks for our club? Um, that that's, it just doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit well with me when people do that at my job. So, um, go in and learn and, and build a relationship and figure out not what they can do for you, but what you can do for them. You, how can we use our platform of very community focused organization that does a lot with marketing and online presence? What, what do they have going on that we can maybe help promote? What can we do to, they're having a food drive. Can we help promote that? Um, and that's, that's kind of my approach over the last couple of years. And, and, and it makes sense. And it's actually more in line with the way I want to operate. You know, I just, I'm not a professional at it, so I never, never thought of it that way. So, um, yeah. but I think that's just great. And, and we already have something in common. We're in DeKalb. We're in Sycamore. We're like, we're in the same community. We have something in common. What can we do to work together? And, and I think that's, it's been fairly successful. I think my, our, our biggest challenge is just, it comes down to volunteer time and how much, how many hours can you put into this? And, and all of a sudden it's the holidays and all of a sudden it's January and all of a sudden your season started in May and it went faster than you thought. And yeah. We're, uh, we're away. I got a, this, this is sort of a wrap up question. That's not my intent, but I'm curious because you're in, in sports and professional sports and, um, without getting into pro rel conversation, like what is the, what is like the, the feeling about soccer in America from, I know there's NFL executives that are involved with MLS and thing like at a high level, I get it. But like, is, what is the tone of lower level soccer or just soccer in general from people that do sports for a real job? Yeah, I would say, you know, I think it's definitely on the come up. I think it, the momentum is continuing to, to, to follow it. Um, you know, I can just tell you from my experiences, obviously, especially in the search side of, of our business is like, you know, I don't necessarily ever get people to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not interested because this is soccer. You know, I don't, I don't get that a lot. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I think, you know, it's going to be a really fun next couple months for, for soccer with the World Cup. And you're going to see an even more, obviously, you know, reinvigoration with the soccer in the States, as you guys know, and are probably excited for. You know, so for you guys, I'd be thinking about like, how do we just go peak on peak with that? Like, how do we just, you know, you know, ring the rag of, of everything that we can with that, you know, that piece of, you know, of eyeballs on, on the sport? Um, you know, but I would say I, I think it's, it's very, you know, positive. I think it's very favorable. I think it continues to get better every day. And, you know, I've seen a lot of talented, you know, friends and colleagues take on a lot of jobs in the MLS. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily say that probably eight, nine years ago. Uh, but now, like, it's pretty normal when someone says, yeah, I'm going to go work for the Dynamo or I'm going to go work for, you know, Orlando City's a, a club we work with really closely, you know, and, you know, they just brought on one of you know, the best executives in sports and, and Jared Dillon. So, you know, I don't think there's there's any, like, looking down upon it from, from my perspective. Is there, you know, the... Uh... Again, Nick hates talking about promotion relegation. I'm not suggesting we debate it, but I'm curious in, in even, I know you don't deal with mergers and acquisitions directly, but you see this sort of this fairly large numbers of Americans going and buying English clubs or European clubs because of growth potential like that. Uh, I mean, is there any underlying backroom talks about like, I, and I, I, we are a nonprofit, but it's always like, boy, it'd be cool if some rich guy wanted to come buy our brand that's pretty good here and we could become the Green Bay Packers of 
major league soccer or whatever, because somebody said, I'm going to buy a club that's established at a low level and I'm going to invest a little bit of money and figure out, how, we, we have pro rel here. You just have to write checks, you know, yeah. like that's, so it's not, it's not about talent on the field at this point in America, but like, I've always just been like, why, why wouldn't people of moderate wealth go, well, that'd be a fun hobby and we could, we could buy some that already exists. It's kind of free market enterprise. Everybody just starts their own club now, but um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, you know, I would say, you know, I would say one is like, you know, obviously we're, we're really familiar with it because our, our, again, our owner, Andy Appleby used to own Darby County. Um, so we're very familiar with, you know, the, the promo and the, the regular, you know, you know, regulation. Um, I would say, you know, I would, I would say, first off, I think the answer to your question is I don't think a lot of people think about owning sports teams. I think people would be really surprised at, I'm not going to say how little, because obviously I'm not in that that stratosphere of buying a team, but like, I think people would be shocked at like what it actually takes to be, you know, become part owner of, of a team in a sport. And so I think you're going to see a pretty big increase in, in, in ownership of clubs, you know, over the next couple of you know, probably the next decade of just like seeing that start to increase and people starting to see the familiarity of like how to go about something like that. Um, so, you know, I think that would be probably my answer to that is like, I just don't think a lot of people think about owning a team or a sport. Um, and as you guys know, I mean, you, you got to see how much work it goes into it. It's not just some hobby that you pick up and you just say, okay, like, let's just roll the ball out. Everything takes care of itself. You know, it's certainly the opposite of that. Yep. No, that's true. Yeah. It's a, it's, that's, I just curious what, what, you know, obviously I'm passionate about it. Nick's passionate about it. And, and a lot of people that we work with within our league and different clubs around here and across the country. And there's a lot of really passionate people. Most of us come from modest means and work as volunteers, not from a position of, yeah, I'm going to throw a bunch of money at this thing and, and hire a bunch of people. And we're going to just see what we can do. It just kind of doesn't look, the passion is, is not uh, the same when you're not, independently wealthy and can just go acquire 20% of the Boston Red Sox or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I really, I really appreciate it. This is, this has been good stuff. Um, I, I don't know, Nick, you got any more questions? I, I'm, I could talk his ear off. I'm sure you could go. Cause all, all I've got is my final question about who he wants to talk to. So if you've got more, take advantage of this free hours consultation with an expert, John. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, um, Boy, I don't know. One of the things, Nick, that you'd sent out about Gentry was was about creating a winning culture, right? That was in our notes for today, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yes, no, so we, we've talked yeah. we've talked about a little bit about grow. I'll try to put all this into one 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 question to get you out of here. Um, you talk about with with growth of uh, revenue and making sure everybody's on the same, you know, uh, everybody's got the same story as best you can. Um, kind of bringing people together. Um, we, uh, just to give you perspective again with us, like very volunteer, um, you know, we, we, we're going to try to start doing monthly meetings again. So we're not sharing an office every day. We're not having those, uh, water cooler conversations. Um, uh, not a lot of boardroom, uh, let's sit on a whiteboard and, and brainstorm and strategize. And it's a lot of remote stuff, emails, that kind of stuff. Um. And we've got fantastic people, but uh, you know, I'm charged with trying to lead and create a winning culture. So I'm trying to figure out how to, again, pare down what you do at a high level. How do I skinny that up where I can take people on limited time 
and be very focused on accomplishing certain things at each meeting or whatever and, and getting people not only we have to get not only the fans excited again, we have to get the staff rejuvenated to go out and work hard for us. Yeah. So they're I don't know, just curious if there's any thoughts on how to like tie that up on less time together and and still create sort of that energy with everybody that here's our goals and here's what we're gonna go accomplish together and here's how we're gonna do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the answer to that is kind of with what you were just saying there at the end. You know, I think, you know, it's communicating what 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 does winning actually look like? Like, what does it look like to you, Nick? Like, you know, on a daily basis, like you guys, you know, know it, you feel it, you see it, like, you know, communicating that out to the group and communicating it to it often. You know, I, I always like try to believe in the rule of three of like, you know, tell them, tell them what you told them and then tell them again, you know, like making sure that like that winning and that goal are consistently being talked about. You know, I think the, the other thing is, you know, I think, you know, for me, it all starts with people. And I think, you know, regardless if you're remote, whether you have five minutes with your team member, whether you have five hours with them, regardless if you're in the room with them or remote, like, you know, like how are you showing your people that you care about them? You know, how are you showing them that the work that they're doing is getting appreciated? You know, again, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses, right? And so, you know, especially if you guys have folks that are volunteering to do a lot of this work, it's like, you know, I would be celebrating the hell out of these folks every single opportunity I got, whether that's a random taking them out for a beer after work or a match, or, you know, is it just that random email at, you know, 930 at night where you just say, hey, yeah, I don't know if you know if you thought people were noticing the work that you're putting in, but I'm somebody that is, is telling you that I saw it, I noticed it, we appreciated it. And so just showing your people consistently that you care about them, that the work that they're doing is meaningful and it's a big contribution to the group and to the to the club. And I think if you continue to do that with, you know, clearly, you know, explicitly telling them what winning looks like and how those folks are regularly contributing to winning, I think it's just a, that cycle that just is going to continue just to snowball and it's just going to continue to gravitate out into your marketplace. And I mean, it may sound simple, you know, but, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people do it in a really, you know, really good way. You know, leaders get busy, you know, thinking about telling their team members they appreciate them, they're thankful for them is, you know, it's, it's something that you don't put on the to-do list, but it's probably yeah. the most important thing you do every day. Yeah. You don't want it to be as scripted as, you know, thank a person Thursday, but that's better than not having thank a person Thursday, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's... It works better if it's if it's ad hoc and just oh yeah I've got to send Tommy an email and say thank you. But if you can't do it that way, then just put it in some sort of system. Um, I'm going to wind things up, Gentry, if that's all right with you. I know people have a hard stop at three o'clock, um, daylight or magic or whatever. Um, when we were discussing this podcast, I did tell you that um, the last thing I'm going to ask you is if there's anyone within the industry or you know in the wider world of sport or or even not sport that you um, think we should talk to whether it's because they've got something interesting to say or whether they can help us or whether you just want to put them in the spotlight um and i'm open to any and all suggestions at this point my friend yeah you know i would say i think a really good person for you guys to talk to would be blake blanche um blake uh is the associate athletic director at the university of tennessee um mm -hmm. so obviously a really really fun weekend for those guys um, but, um, you know, Blake is somebody that we work together in, uh, in Tampa and in Phoenix. Um, so real close friend of mine. Um, but he's also somebody that then went on to, he, he basically rebuilt the sales team and effort, 
at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Um, right. So, you know, again, you talk about, you know, understanding what it looks like to run and operate a lean machine um, without a lot of resources and support sometimes. I think he, he would understand that. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the University of Tennessee and did, you know, kind of did the same thing. He built a, a sales team, built a culture, all of those things. I think he'd be a really good person for you guys to talk to. And, you know, again, just a great guy, you know, somebody that. <laughs> Nothing uh, yeah, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing. I think with anybody, whether you're talking to them, hiring them, is you know, are they a good human being? And, and Blake's one of the best. All right, we'll take your word for it. Stay tuned. We might even wait for him. Um, Gentry, thank you very much for this. I appreciate your time. I know John does. Um, again, I appreciate it being slightly outside of your normal working day consultation place. So we really do appreciate the you know taking the time to talk to us little people. Um, Best of luck with everything. I hope our paths cross again someday. Um, thank you, I guess, is all I want to say. Yeah, thanks, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. Like I said, always thankful and grateful for these opportunities. And so if I can be of any assistance in the in the future, don't hesitate to, to reach out, okay? God bless you. I should say, where can people get hold of you if they found any of this information interesting when I reach out, do want to reach out to you? Or they think they should come and work with you. How can they get hold of you? Yeah, you know, I would say I, I have a pretty big presence on LinkedIn. So if uh, if you haven't found me there, I, I'm, I post content pretty regularly on there. Uh, all of my contact info is in my about me on my LinkedIn profile too. So if anybody wants to call, uh, text, or email me, my info is on there as well. Cool, fantastic. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much for your time, my friend. Catch you later. Thanks, guys. Good Good